Hello everyone, I'm Ellis Traub and this is Money, Business and More. Today I'm going to break from the tradition we've maintained on this site and talk about politics. I know I've stayed away from that subject religiously since we started this stuff, but it's hard not to talk about it when everyone out there is doing it. Now, I didn't say I was going to talk about politicians or any particular politician. That's what everyone else does. And I don't like it very much. I don't care who they are. It's simply a pain in the butt listening to them. I feel like I'm back in a schoolyard during recess. And these kids are so busy saying, did so, did not. You're a liar. No, you are. As old as I am, I find myself not wishing I were young again. And that's pretty bad. So far as I'm concerned, they're all it. And they're busy chasing each other around the playground trying to catch each other. Let me tell you how far back I go as a political observer. When I was literally in knee pants, I guess that dates me already. I used to wear knickers, and in those days, the equivalent of kids wearing their jeans below the crack in their butts to look tough like they do today was to let the bottoms of them drop down around our ankles instead of being pulled up around our calves like they were designed to be. At least I did it after I got out of sight of my mother, who raised hell with me if she saw me that way. But I digress. My first memory of exposure to the political process was during the presidential race between Franklin Roosevelt and Af Landon. Yeah, I have as many wrinkles as the pages of the old history books that talk about it. That was in 1936, and it was in the middle of the Great Depression. In those days, my dad was a salesman for the Burroughs Adding Machine Company, and used to go from business to business, selling adding machines and calculators. Those things didn't fit in your pockets then, and you couldn't make phone calls on them either. They were big, heavy things that he had to lug under his arm as he went from business to business. He didn't complain, though, because he was one of those lucky ones who had a job, and he made pretty good buck doing it. At that time, it was $35 a week. In those days, things were very competitive, and the most successful salesmen were the guys who made friends with their prospects, as well as being able to persuade them that they had a better product. If you did anything to piss off your client, you were toast, and there went your weekly paycheck. If you didn't make a sale, you didn't pay the rent. Anyway, to this day, I'll never forget the day my dad came home after a tough day at work. Of course, everyone wore a coat and tie then. And in his lapel, he wore a bright yellow daisy, which was the emblem of Alf Landon's campaign. But replacing the dark brown center of that daisy was a red, white, and blue Roosevelt button. And that was my first exposure to healthy politics. Not only did he not tick off anybody he came to, he managed to get a laugh from most of them. In those days, though, no one really got angry like they do today. The issues may have been just as life-changing, but national politics was a gentler business, at least to the bulk of the public who listened to the radio, heard where the candidates stood about the issues, and then voted based on who seemed best able to run the country. 
That's not to say that politics didn't have an ugly underbelly of corruption back in the day. Those are the days of raw party politics, precinct-level patronage and corruption that meant that the local politician that did the most favors for his constituents were able to stay in office forever. But in that climate, my dad's duplicity made a lot of sense. And it also said a lot about the political process. Hey, there's nothing wrong with a voter pretending to be on both sides of the party system. It's one thing for a voter to openly pretend to be on both sides, but it was another for a candidate to say one thing to one group of people and go down the block to another and tell them something else. And rather than a silly button, it was the forked tongues of the candidates that defined the political hacks in the neighborhoods, villages, and the cities of the day. Can't do it today. The folks down the block are watching the same TV show, and it's hard to get away with telling one group one thing and another something else. That's why you don't hear that much about the issues. Today, it's identity politics. For each party, it's hard to get any traction by talking about the issues. Our politicians have been so eager to get votes that they've told too many people with too many different interests that they're going to do what they want them to. So they figure it's better to stay away from things they promised and talk about what a bad guy their opponent is. What I missed most, though, is the sense of humor. Everyone's so serious now. Everyone on each side is waiting for someone on the other side to say something stupid or worse, something incriminating. Going back to the playground, I can remember the kids in my day couldn't be insulted. They couldn't be. They couldn't get their feelings hurt. I was a pudgy little kid, and kids being kids, they were just as cruel then as they are now. But the difference was that we were taught by our parents to laugh at our tormentors. Whatever happened to sticks and stones can break my bones, but names will never hurt me. They'd have to be real bullies and beat the crap out of you before you'd give them the satisfaction. Boy, doesn't that schoolyard thing ring a bell. Yeah, we had school bells outside then. Name-calling, then, doesn't hold a candle to what it is today. Back then, you'd get a dressing down from your teacher if she overheard you doing it to someone else. And yeah, I said she. That's about all we had then, and it wasn't a problem. You didn't hear anyone complaining about diversity then. You could say she or he without worrying about the cops throwing you in their cruisers because you weren't politically correct or because you took part in a protest about it. It took a lot more for folks to be offended in those days. Maybe we were just too dumb to know someone was trying to insult us, or maybe we just didn't want to make an issue out of someone else being too dumb to know any better. But whatever it was, we just didn't care that much. Of course, in those days, you'd have to be pretty thick-skinned to run for office. A politician would have to be embarrassed to admit it to anyone that he or she was offended by someone taking a verbal poke at him. Yeah, folks, him. There's that diversity thing again. Don't get me wrong. The sound of a glass ceiling shattering is music to my ears. In my day, the girls in school were smarter than us guys. I remember one of my classmates. Her name was Joan Schmeckpepper. Seriously, that, that was her name. And she was hot. Well, whatever hot might have been to an eight-year-old kid. And she always got the best grade in every test we had. 
She probably would have made a great president, but that was because she was smart, not because she was hot. But that says a lot for how superficial we are, doesn't it? Have you ever seen an ugly politician today? Hell no. They have to be Hollywood star quality, at least in looks, if not being able to pretend you're somebody else you aren't. Then again, when you want to learn where you should stand on the vital issues of the day, you know where you should go for the soundest advice, don't you? Of course, it's to your favorite movie star, the guy or gal who has the most gold records or Grammys or the one who makes the most money. But they do have to look good. And if they're not good looking, they have to have friends who carry guns. I wonder how many of today's politicians write off their dental bills or Botox as campaign expenses. Do dazzling smiles trump orange hair? Uh, you'll have to pardon a pun, but we're not going there. No identity politics in this forum. Getting back to what I was talking about, I just want to make the point that politics has made us lose our sense of humor. Some would have us believe that it's because all of the issues involved in politics are serious. All of the things our politicians talk about are really serious, right? The hell they are. How can anyone take it seriously when someone talks about eliminating airplane travel and internal, combust and internal combustion engines to improve our lives? Come on. I even have to laugh at anyone who takes that seriously enough to criticize it with a straight face. In fact, I find it hard to take seriously anyone who thinks it's important not to vote for someone because they have bad breath, because they feed their cats table food, or any of a zillion things that today's candidates already accuse their opponents of doing. And for that stuff, a whole new industry has sprung up. Opposition research. They call it oppo research. Do you know you can make a great living in a library? Just go back about 20 or 30 years in the reference department and look for stuff about any of the folks who are running for office. There's plenty of stuff back there you can find if you look for it. Even if you find a picture of a candidate who has acne when he was a teen or a serious candidate who was on the cheerleading squad and was better developed for her age than her girlfriends at the time, someone will pay good money so they can put it in their ads and ask if you really want to vote for a candidate who had pimples or who showed off their body that way. What kind of idiocracy do we live in today? Can you imagine a debate between Lincoln and Douglas where one called the other a fat, pompous jerk and the other called him a skinny guy with a mole on his face? Which of those things do you think should qualify the other from being able to serve as commander-in-chief? In fact, when you consider the seriousness of today's problems, how about the kinds of problems Lincoln or Churchill faced as commanders-in-chief of their countries? Yet both of those world leaders, judged by history to be among the, the greatest the world has ever seen, oh, pardon me for the hyperbole we hear so often these days, both of these gentlemen are famous for their sense of humor, even in the worst of times. How about Abe Lincoln, during a war that took more lives than most in history, saying, no matter how much cats fight, there always seems to be plenty of kittens. Or how many modern-day politicians, if they were accused of being two-faced, would or could come up with this one. If I had two faces, why would I be wearing this one? 
you've got to feel pretty secure to come up with that kind of response. And the lack of humor you can find in most of our politicians today leads me to believe that they're pretty insecure, and probably for good reason. But then how can politicians be secure? They have to take polls to find out what they should think. Talk about profiles and courage. Back when Jack Kennedy wrote it, people who were elected to represent others in our democratic republic did what they were elected to do. Sometimes the decisions they had to make on our behalf were tough, but they saw it as their jobs to make those decisions and then come back to their neighborhoods and sell us on what they did and why they did it and take their chances on whether we would accept it or not. Usually they had defensible and principled reasons for making those tough decisions. Why? Because they were privy to information that we didn't have access to and the tough decisions based on that information were obviously compelling enough to make them bipartisan. <laughs> what does bipartisan mean today? Put the two parties together side by side and it's hard to find any light leaking out between them. Come to think of it, it's hard to find any enlightenment at all. While there are some who see politics as a source of power, some, especially at the local level, see as it a source of wealth. It was intended by this country's founding fathers to be like charity. A politician was someone who unselfishly was willing to give up a few years of his life to represent his constituents. It wasn't the profession it is now. Mind you, a profession is a career. It's how you make money. What does that tell you? Back in the day, most of those who offered themselves to that service were wealthy, or at least comfortable. And the service they gave was service, in fact, because they were expected to give up their livelihoods during their tenure. And they were happy and relieved to return to their lives when it was over. It was just a temporary thing. Wow, things changed. What if there was a requirement that all politicians who were paid by the taxpayer to represent them had to show their real net worth when they started their terms and then show it at the end. Talk about starting a new industry. Hell, if I could buy stock in that business, I'd be rich as they are. I don't think there are many who lose money because of their office today. If there were, they wouldn't stay in it nearly so long, nor would there be so many trying to replace them in it. No, it's a profitable business. And it would be interesting to see just how many nonprofits and foundations that they've started inside the Beltway that believe in the saying that charity begins at home because that's where the money winds up. I suppose I sound a little cynical here. Yeah, I am. I only wish things would be like they were when I was younger, but that's not going to happen any more than I'm going to get younger. It's our kids' kids' turn to take over the country, and we haven't done much to prepare them to do it. We've showed ourselves to be inept at it, and we're supposed to be their role models. They have the attention span of a sneeze, and issues is only a word that sounds like sneezes. It's not that they want to be ignorant. They certainly weren't born that way. We had to work to make them that way, and we've done a better job at that than much of what we try to do. But they have the credentials to show that they've learned stuff, so I guess they're smarter than I am. I went to both Harvard and Cornell and don't have a degree from either of them. Dropped out of both, one to fly airplanes from my country and the other to make a living, so I guess I'm pretty stupid. But it's these kids who are going to have to make the tough decisions in the days to come. I know how tough decision-making is because in my household, 
I make all the big decisions and my wife makes the small ones. I decide things like who's going to be president, how can we solve the world's problems, and things like that. Of course, one of the little decisions she makes are which decisions are important which aren't. Anyway, thanks for listening to this rant, folks. As I told you early on, this is not a place to talk about political issues. The fact is that there are some important decisions to be made at this moment. Right now, we're living in isolation, hiding under our beds because we're scared of the pandemic that's invading our lives and threatening to make life as we know it obsolete. But if you think for a New York minute that the seriousness of our situation calls for us to be moody, morose, and unable to crack a smile, you better think twice. Listen to that school bell that calls you back from recess and find all the humor you can in the midst of this world-shaking learning experience. 